Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. This podcast was recorded at our last gathering. Teaching like this is how we worship together every other week. We look to the scriptures seeking to become more like Christ. We're glad you're listening. Really grateful to be here. There's so much life right now, it feels like, in our community and um thinking about this boys and girls club thing has just got Ben and I both like super, super excited. It's been amazing how in this past year, there is just, Rachel has become this person of peace for us as a community where she's just like, yes, yes, yes. You know, and she's calling us and it's just been this really exciting thing. So, uh, you have to come on that fifth Sunday where, uh, there is really no other option. Um, if you don't come, we'll kick you out. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. Don't come back, no. Um, But we're just super, super excited about just these opportunities to serve our community, our neighbors, our actual neighbors, like people that live within blocks that walk to this place, that we get a chance to inhabit this place with people. That's awesome. So, sorry. I know Ben just did the announcements. I'm not supposed to rehash all that stuff, but I'm just super excited. Um, Yeah, last gathering we had, Ben got started uh, in the book of John. And so we've been hanging out uh, we will be hanging out in John for, for the foreseeable future. And um, I love the image that he had of the kaleidoscope. Um, a lot of people, when they first uh, meet Jesus and they're like, hey, what do I read? People say John. And um, I think because you really get this sense of who Jesus is. But at the same time, there's so much. There's like layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. Uh, it reminds me a lot of, of, when, of when folks who are much older tell stories, they're more nuanced. And so they might tell the story about how, you know, how they met and got married, but you hear all these other pieces kind of flowing in because there's all this story, all this narrative, all this life that they've had to live up to that point in time. Um, also, if any of you are really, has anyone read through John since we've started? Just show of hands real quick. Okay, if some of us, uh, if you haven't, we want to encourage you, and there's this really great resource. Can you hold up one of those little books back there? Um, not that one, the other one, yeah. It's just called, uh, it's the Gospel of John, and it's a journal, so it's John on one side and blank pages on another, so it's kind of a cool way to, to go through John. It's like five bucks. If anyone's interested, come see me. I'd love to, we can order them. Um, we have some, our house church shepherds, a bunch of them have grabbed them, but it's a great way to be immersed in the scripture. Um, so this morning, I get a chance to turn the kaleidoscope just a bit to see a different color and shape um, because I want us to be immersed in John because there is so much going on in this story. Uh, have any of you ever been around like real wine people? Anyone? Like the person that can like taste the notes of the butterfly wing that flew by in like the second month of its growing. Like they amaze me because when you, when you look at them, it's like, man, these people really know their wine or they can taste the hints. They can name the wood like, oh, that was in a cherry field. You're like, how do you know this? Anyways, I just think as we look in this, we begin to see these deeper notes, these bigger pictures, these things that just are bursting at the seams. Um, Just a few months ago, I actually, uh, as we ended our Advent season, I taught on John 1, and I'm going to teach on John 1 again, but I want to teach it from a different perspective. Um, We have to understand, John is doing something thunderously huge in the very beginning of his 
of his gospel. And we need to recognize that he is writing this to a people and to this church, to this woven church, this tapestry of, a, of people that call themselves followers of Jesus. Some are Gentile and some are Jewish. And so it just doesn't have this, this flat line of like everybody knows the verbiage and the language and all this stuff. But he's writing to these two really unique culture, cultural people who have found themselves under the authority of Jesus in these churches. And so this is what's making my soul sing this morning. And it's very simple. It's in the first few words. It says, in the beginning was the word. And so we come to this beautifully pregnant phrase of in the beginning was the word. And the word is this Greek word logos or logos, however you want to say it. I say tomato, you say tomato. But the word means something very different to the two audiences that are present in this woven church. And so to one side, to the Greek side, logos is a word that the philosophers of the day have spent a ton of time thinking through, like years and years and years. And essentially, it's this transcendent force. It's this glue that kind of holds the entire universe together that has set things into motion, impersonal but powerful. And so the Greeks are reading this saying, yeah, yeah, Logos, we get that. In the beginning, this transcendent power was at work. This thing was doing something. These ideas, these principles, uh, this stuff has just, it, it is just pregnant with meaning to the Greeks that are reading this. It's very mysterious in essence. It's bigger than matter. It's logos. And so they're saying, yes, as we're reading this first sentence, if we put ourselves in a Greek mindset, we're like, heck yeah, logos, love this. This is good stuff. And then if we think about this first sentence, this first statement from a Jewish audience, logos means something really different. And the, the, the Jewish rabbis and the Jewish thinkers have basically said that that's what they would call the Torah or the words of God. Some people think of the Torah, it's the first five books of the Old Testament, but they have this picture that it's the wisdom of God, the truth of God. In its unwritten form, Torah always was and always will be because Torah is God. And Logos literally means Torah to the Jewish people who are reading this at the time. It has always existed, and we even have it in writing too, which makes it even better, but this, that this wisdom of God has flown and been around and hovered. It is the powerful work of God. And so we come to this statement, in the beginning was the word and the words with God, and right off the bat, John has hooked both of these readers, and they're both thinking in really different directions, and then he screws everything up and ticks off most people there by saying this, and it, it is, and let me just read it and see if you can catch it. In the beginning was the word, and the word is with God, and the word was God. He was in the he was with God in the beginning. And so at the same time, the Jewish and the Greek audience is snagged on one word, and that's the pronoun he. Because to the Greeks, I want God to be this transcendent power that kind of does all this stuff and hangs out in limbo and he just sort of orchestrates things and I don't have to know him, he doesn't have to know me, but he's there and he's doing it, I can just kind of trust that. 
And to the Greek, it's like, I want it in writing. I want it to be this thing that it's, it's this wisdom. It's something that's more transcendent. It's wisdom. It's God. It's, it's personal, yet still has this distance. And yet what happens is John brings in this word, he. And he says, God is not this unknowable force. He's not this, just this word or this wisdom, but he's an actual person. And for a moment, what that does is it changes everything. And the first sentence of the gospel, it's like he drops a nuclear bomb on our philosophical and theological ideas of who God is. And that's just the beginning. And we see the way that John masterfully does this all throughout Scripture. And I'm not going to get into all of them. And that's just a, that's part of it. But the other part of that is this. Think about the way begins this beautiful, this beautiful biography of Jesus. He's really different. And it's this beautiful way of starting. It's super poetic. It's amazing. But basically what it's saying is God is not hiding. He is not absent. He has not abandoned us. He is not reclusive. He is not unknowable. And the fact that what we have in the first part of this gospel is this explosion of that God is present is huge. That in the beginning, before time was created, is also this echo back to the first book ever, the first book that we have in our Bibles called Genesis. Genesis begins with this very pregnant statement as well, in the beginning. And so when we think about the beginning as the readers, the Jewish reader and even the Gentile readers are hearing this, they're thinking, oh, Genesis is starting to make sense. Like, why is he calling on Genesis? What is this? I thought Jesus was the last hatched idea. You know, world's really screwed up. Maybe we got to figure something out. But most people, when we think about the story of Genesis or we think about the book of Genesis, most of the early readers are thinking about something very particular. They're thinking about sin and the fall. And so what happens is when we come to Genesis, most of us start Genesis in Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3 is the story that we all know, uh, most of us know. But it's the story of Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, and they're naked, and they're hanging out, and they eat an apple. And then next thing you know, their eyes are open. They're hiding from God. They've made, like, underpants out of fig leaves and stuff. And they're hiding, and they're ashamed, and they're no longer in this place of just communion with God and one another. It's like literally all hell breaks loose at the moment that, that that happens. And that's the reality that most people are thinking through when they hear the echo of Genesis starting. And so a lot of us, when we begin in Genesis, we think the fall and then what the way that we sort of read scripture is fall goes with redemption. But we forget that the bookends, the bookends of the Bible is not just a story of fall and redemption, but it's creation and new creation. And so when we begin to read the scripture as a whole, what we see is not just that there's this sin problem and God deals with it, but there's life before sin and there's life. There's, there's real abundant life before sin and there's real abundant life after sin. And so in these moments as we're reading through the story, it's like he's pulling all these different things into this first paragraph of this. And so John is writing this new Genesis, essentially. N.T. Wright says that the whole book, that his whole book, the entire Gospel of John, opening with the words of in the beginning, which echo Genesis 1.1, is about how the world's creator has come at last to remake the world. And Genesis 1 reminds us that who we are and who we were created to be. And, and Genesis is one of my favorite books, and those first three chapters are just beautiful. But we, we come to the part, God creates things, and he just does all this stuff, and on the last day before he rests, he makes mankind. 
And if we just like close our eyes and think about this for a moment, it's like he picks up, it says, and, and we fashion man in our own image and God breathed life into man and man became alive. Like we, if you, if you are alive today, you are created in the image of God. You cannot hide from the fact that you are created in the image of God. Because when we begin in Genesis 1, that's what it looks like. Both male and female created in the image of God. And we get to the beautiful story of Genesis 2 where Adam's alone and he's naming all these different animals and all this stuff. And he's trying to find his, his soulmate. And um, he comes to the place where he, he can't, you know, all the animals, he can't find a suitable helpmate, a suitable soulmate. And so God causes Adam to fall asleep and he makes woman out of his rib and all this beautiful stuff. But I love what happens at the end of that story. It says this, and this, 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 is, this, this is pregnant language. It says they were both naked and they felt no shame. And so from the very beginning of God's creative order, he created us in his, in his image and the intention was that we would be naked, not feeling the need to hide and to live without shame. Like, can I get an amen? Like, that is the intention of what God has designed mankind to be. And then we come to the fall. But we have to remember what God's original intention was because if we forget that, we're missing where we're gonna end. So as we come to this story, this naked and unashamed, and we then we read Genesis 3, what we see right off the bat is they recognize their nakedness. And like my, my friends, like we see this all the time. We have this inerrant need in us somewhere that the devil put, that the devil speaks lies. We have to hide who we are because for some reason it's not good enough. But God says like, man, we're not hiding we're not hiding. So we see them build these fig leaves and they're hiding. They're literally hiding their bodies and they're also hiding themselves. They're trying to hide from God. And we see shame. And we love the story of shame. I feel like sometimes we actually revel in the story of shame. We need to stop living in the story of shame. But the shame comes in these amazing ways, in these like, these like lightning flashes of stuff as we read the first few lines of Genesis chapter 3 but they start shaming one another. They start to feel the shame on themselves. Like shame is what causes us to hide. They start having everything that we know, everything that was good is completely hijacked. This naked, shameless life is hijacked. And most of us have actually lived in the, probably the better half of our life in the space of being hijacked by shame and fear and addiction and abandonment and fear and anxiety and anger. But God doesn't want us to live in that place. As we continue to read through the book of John and a few verses down in verse five, it says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness have not, has not understood it, or in some translations, has not overcome it. Because what happens is, is that God in his grace and his mercy and his love for human and for us, for humans, for humanity, has not abandoned us. He has not left us in this place of feeling hopeless. He has not left us in this place of staying in the darkness, but God calls us into the light. 
Jesus himself pulls us back into the light through what he calls us to. He says that darkness no longer has space. I mean, imagine, just take a moment in your life right now, just this this small, imagine what your life could look like outside of shame. And some of us are like, I'm living that now. Praise God. Some of us, like, we can think about how shame has controlled us over the years. We can think about how fear and anxiety have crippled us over the years. We can see how those have led us to, the, to sin and places where we wish we never would have gone. That's the story that John driving us into that in this first chapter. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And we see this just a few lines down in verse 10. It says, uh, sorry, verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so what happens in that moment when God moves into the neighborhood? And I I think for us, we've probably grown a little bit um, maybe deaf or blind to the significance of this. But if God shows up as my next door neighbor, it's either an uh uh-oh or an aha moment. And when I think about that, the fact that God doesn't just stay somewhere far away in that transcendent logos place, whether it's a Greek or a Jewish mindset, but that he, in, that he embodies his creation and he comes to redeem it, is the, this is the good news. Like, this is not bad news. This is good news. Now, in other cultures, this is bad news because when God shows up, he's ticked. And a lot of us, we've probably lived into that lie where we feel like, man, if God showed up today, he'd probably strike me down with lightning. Like, I'm here to tell you, that's not true. Like, God who shows up at this point, the God who shows up today, Jesus himself, like the God-man comes because he loves you because he desires to be with you, because he recognizes the need that we have, the the lonely spaces, the shame spaces, the sin spaces that need to be delivered and healed and set free. But what I love is like God doesn't just deliver us. He doesn't just bring us into a place where like, okay, you're delivered and now you're good. And he puts me like an Amazon package on the doorstep of being delivered. But he like opens that and he gives me brand new identity and purpose and life. And that's the good news. It doesn't just stop with redemption, but it's new creation. And as I think about John, John is just amazing in what he's writing. And and we also have to recognize that he doesn't just write the gospel of John, but he also writes the revelation of John. Anyone ever read that? I love the last line. And I think this is what we have to realize. John begins with this idea of in the beginning. But the way he ends his last book that he wrote, the book of Revelation, He has this beautiful line. He says, behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. And like, I feel like Ben asked a really, he gave us some really good questions to ask as we read through the scripture. And the one, like the first two are the ones that are still blowing my mind. But what makes my soul sing and what makes my soul sting? And in that moment, like John doesn't just confront us with this happy Jesus who just love, you know, he's just like coming to cuddle with the world, but he actually comes to like declare war on the dark forces, on the enemy, on sin, and he wants to set people free. And so we have to recognize that when we come in contact with Jesus, he's doing something that has never been done before. Like he is coming to us to set us free, to make us new, to bring us into brand new life. In the last week, in the last few weeks, our elders have really been praying specifically for marriages within Renew. 
and for marriages in general. And just the other day, I got, uh, I got a phone call from a friend and, and a good friend of ours. Uh, there's been some infidelity and they're ending in divorce and things is just looking terrible. But like, this is what I want to encourage us today because like what I feel like, we could probably take this a million different directions, but where I want to kind of crash land this today is if you're married and you feel like you're hiding, stop hiding. Like Jesus is calling you to stop hiding. If you're married and you feel like things are kind of like rocky right now, seek help, get prayer. Like we need to figure out ways to see God continue to build our marriages. And listen, if you're single, I'm not speaking you too. Like we need to make sure that we are reconciled brothers and sisters, married couples, single people. God does not leave anybody out. But he comes to us and says, be reconciled to me. And a lot of us are afraid because when God shows up in the neighborhood, we think he's going to like blow up my life all of a sudden. He does blow up our life, but he does it through his kindness because he has a bigger vision of what is at stake than us. So if if you're married, I just want you to like hold your spouse's hand for a minute. I just want to pray for our marriages here. Um, And if you're single, I just want to, I want you to just reach over and put your hand on a married couple, just wherever they are. Just, just do that for me. I know that might sound kind of weird. Um, but I just want to pray for our married couples. Father, I just get the sense that, uh, that, that, that some of us in this space are just really struggling. And Lord, our communication has struggled. Uh, some of us feel like we're not on the same page. <laughs> some of us fought the whole way here this morning. Some of us really feel like there needs to be a revolution within our marriages. And so in the name of Jesus, I pray for each marriage in this place, each couple holding hand, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would free them. I pray that your love and your blood would just cover over their marriage, Lord, that you would restore, that you would heal, that you would do something brand new. Lord, because my my sense is that, that if a marriage is healthy, a family is healthy. So, Lord, I just pray for that. Father, I, and I want to ask my married couples, just with your eyes closed, just to put your hands on the friends that aren't married around you, the friends that are single, our friends that are widowed, our friends that have had a lot going on. And let's pray for our single friends as well. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters uh, who are not married, um, who, who, have, who have longed for that, uh, who have lost that. And, Lord, I just pray blessing on them, Jesus, that you would meet them where they are, Lord, you come to us. You don't ever ask us to clean up. We never have to clean up before we get there. You clean us up as you come. And so, Father, I pray blessing on our, on our brothers and sisters, those that long to be married and those that miss being married. And I just pray that you would meet them where they are, that you would remind them the beauty of purity, that you would remind them of what, that you are good, that you are with them, that you are walking through these hard spaces, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. So as we finish up this, um, Katina mentioned something this morning as we were praying. And I think this is actually a word for renew. Um, and she said she was praying that the Lord would give us like a spirit of, well, like a welcoming spirit, that anyone who walked through these doors would sense this like welcoming spirit. And then she said this, she said, because I believe that a lot of people feel like they're abandoned. And so what I want to tell you is 1 John, the very, the very first chapter of John, essentially tells us that we are not abandoned. You 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 are not abandoned. God has come. 
He didn't send a representative. He himself came as Jesus because he loves us. So if we could hear one thing this morning that you are not abandoned. If you feel abandoned, God is saying, I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to say, you're not abandoned, but you are present to me. And I see you and I care. Father, thanks for these people uh, listening to my, my ramblings this morning. Thank you for um, the way that you're ministering in this room. Father, thank you for, this, for, for the gospel of John. Thank you for the moments when I see myself as a Pharisee and for the moments when I see myself as the, as the person, as Lazarus, who's been lying in his tomb for three days and needs to be resurrected. Lord, thank you for sending us your spirit that's convicting hearts. Father, I just get the sense that you are convicting hearts this morning. And Lord, I just pray that whatever is happening, um, that we wouldn't block or hinder that, but we would just open our hearts up to you. And so, Lord, as we get ready to respond in worship, may we be worshiping with hearts of gratitude because of the way that you have filled us with light. May we also open ourselves up to whatever you have for us, to just believe that what you have for us is better than what we can think or imagine. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.